This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the wonderful world of Remnant Radio. In today's program, we're going to be talking about the whole open but cautious thing. We're going to keep that series going. But today, we're talking about those who are open and cautious about the gift of healing. It's going to be an exciting episode. You guys stay tuned. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a show where we tackle history, theology, and the gifts of the Spirit. My name is Joshua Lewis. I'm the pastor of King's Fellowship in Ada, Oklahoma, together with my friend Michael Miller at Reclamation Church Denver and Michael Roundtree at Bridgeway Church OKC. We set aside time every week to discuss the gifts of the Spirit. Things like, how should we pray for the sick? And how do we interpret tongues? And should we believe all the prophetic words for the new year? If you're looking for a charismatic podcast with practitioners who are actually doing the stuff, this is the show for you. We've got a great program for you today. We're talking about healing and Miller's screen just disappeared. So I hope he's still there. His whole screen went black. Miller, if you can hear me, try to unplug and replug in that uh, that camera. Anyway, uh, all that to say, guys, we've got an exciting program for you today talking about healing. Uh, And we're going to be diving into all of that and more. But before we dive in, I want to remind you that Remnant Radio is an entirely crowdfunded ministry. So if you want to support the channel, there are links in the description for you can do that. The top link is for PayPal and the link right underneath it is for Patreon. If you choose to give on PayPal, you give a one gift of any amount. Uh, If you choose to give on Patreon, uh, as low as five bucks a month, you get access to extra content. Uh, Miller has called back and he will call back in. So, okay, it automatically went split screen. I was kind of worried there'd be a third screen there with like an, I don't know, like a blank something. I don't know. Brown tree. You know, Miller just sometimes he just has issues in, in the basement. It's uh, it's really just kind of a sad thing. Uh, we're really mm-hmm. just pray for his wife Sarah to let him out. Um, it's you know it's just been a little rough, so it it can affect internet signal down there. Too so. soon. Uh, too soon. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Miller is I'm sure going to call right back in. Uh, he's had some problems with this camera, so we just you know pray all those deliverance devils away. Those camera devils. Uh, anyway, uh, today we're talking about uh, the open but cautious. We've we've talked a little bit about open but cautious up into this point. We've talked about tongues and prophecy and why this position of like, I believe these things are real, but I'm not going to pursue them. I'm going to kind of going to be cautious about them. And, you know, Lord's sovereignty, you kind of do what he wants, that, that whole posture and how really that does not reflect the biblical teachings of to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you prophesy. So as we're walking through, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, talking about these gifts, we're hoping uh, that these examples that we're giving you today and these kinds of, uh, these discussions that we're having will help inspire you to earnestly desire spiritual gifts and pursue these things and maybe not have this posture of being open but cautious. Miller, do do you have anything you want to add to that? (laughs) No, I have nothing (laughs) I want to add because I just got back in the call. (laughs) <laughs> no clue what I just said, which is perfect. Uh, okay, uh, Roundtree, where, where do you want to start today in our program? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I, I mean, I, I think we've we've tried to walk through why open but cautious across the spectrum of spiritual gifts is not acceptable. It's just not an acceptable or biblical way of viewing things. If I'm open but cautious to Jesus died on a cross for my sins, I'll be eternally damned. I have to repent and believe that is place my trust in him. And in the same way uh, with the spiritual gifts, I, I need more than just like this sort of casual, I'm open to it. I have to actually pursue, as the scripture says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. So uh, so we've, we've kind of worked on that in generalities. And as you said, Josh, we've, we've talked through a few of the specific gifts in this series in today healing. Uh, but the sort of uh, table of contents, if you will, for today's show is we, we want to walk through maybe first some concerns that people have who are in the open but cautious camp, specifically their concerns about healing. So that'll be kind of the first 
portion of the show, and then we'll shift gears uh, to kind of addressing some biblical problems with the open but cautious view, specifically as it pertains to healing and how they would maybe pray for healing or not. So uh, we'll talk through some of those too. So uh, uh, let's start with number one, kind of the concern of those who are open but cautious. If I start praying for the sick uh, and the person doesn't get healed, then they'll just be grieved. They'll be disappointed. Maybe they'll lose faith in God if I pray for them and it doesn't happen. And I think to this, I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts on it, but I think what I would say is, well, then maybe let's forget healing prayer for a moment. Maybe you should just not pray at all (laughs) because it's not just healing prayer. Like if somebody says, hey, we pray for me that I get this job. Nope. Don't want to ruin your faith. Hey, could you pray for me that uh, I grow in my faith? I don't want to ruin your faith, (laughs) so I won't pray for the growth of your faith. I I mean, that was a silly example, but, but, but you get my point that this it sometimes healing prayer gets put in this special category of prayer but i i don't think that it should i i I mean yes you can systematize you can categorize on some level but at the end of the day if you are afraid that you're going to harm the faith of somebody by a non-answer to prayer then you really shouldn't pray for anyone about anything because that same objection applies And, and and i'll just tell you from experience not maybe 10 times out of 10. I maybe, um, when I pray for somebody and that person doesn't get healed, uh, I would say they 10 times, nine times out of 10, they still feel loved. They feel, they feel just taken care of. They experience, I've had it where people felt like they experienced the love of God while we were praying, even though they didn't get healed. I consider that a win. And uh, there's much more to say, but I want to give you guys a chance to to chime in on that. What would you say to the objection? Hey, if we start praying for the sick, people, uh, and the person doesn't get healed, people are going to be grieved. People are going to be disappointed in God. They're going to lose hope. They're going to lose their faith in God. Josh, basement boy, <laughs> what would you guys say? <laughs> uh, well, uh, okay, so a couple things. When we say uh, the open but cautious approach, uh, we're not saying that you shouldn't be wise and uh, understanding in these in these things. And when it comes to the objection, you know, maybe they'll lose their faith. Um, I would say, again, anecdotally, like Michael, uh, my experience hasn't shown me that. Um, usually the kinds of people who lose faith because they don't get what they are wanting when it comes to healing are usually the same kind of people who don't get what they want from God in general. Um, and so we've got to remember that the ownership of whether or not a miracle happens is not uh, entirely up to us. Now, it is up to us whether we pray or not. Like We have that choice, but we don't get the choice as to whether or not the person on the receiving end gets healed. And so the same thing would be true when it comes to evangelism. right? We would never stop uh, presenting the gospel to people for the sake of evangelism and if they don't repent and get saved right there on the spot, if their sins are not forgiven, and which one is the greater miracle, the sins being forgiven or the healing of a sick person, which I think Jesus himself kind of demonstrates that forgiving sins is a far greater miracle. Right. Yeah, I would say on this issue that like we don't do things based off of oftentimes people's responses. There's the, this very therapeutic approach to ministry today that says, you know, I don't want to do anything that would make someone uncomfortable. Um, you got into the wrong business. If you are a Christian and you wanted to do Christian ministry and not make other people uncomfortable, you believe a virgin gave birth to God and then died on the cross, you know, and then he floated into heaven and he's coming down on a white horse, right? So um, this idea that we're not going to upset or offend, like we should really remove that from all areas of our categories. Like you're telling people, if you don't repent and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you'll burn eternally in hellfire. And they're like, but I'm not Hitler. I didn't do anything bad. Maybe I've lied. Maybe I've stolen. And it's like, yeah, you're coming with a message that says, look, like repent and believe. And, and if you don't, like there's judgment to pay. Like that's a real message that Christians actually believe. The idea that we aren't to proclaim or practice things that were commanded to in scripture because of the way it might affect someone, I think is always the wrong approach. Um, we look to the scriptures. The scriptures tell us to pray for the sick, like James 5. 
tells us, hey, is anyone among you six? Call for the elders to bring them forth, lay on hands, anoint with oil. The prayer of faith will will heal them. They will they will recover. So we approach um, the text of scripture in confidence, in faith, doing what God tells us to do, no matter the consequences. Um, so part of this comes down to got to do what you're told. You're, you're a soldier, you're a servant, you know, do, do what you're told, pray for the sick. And I think this would probably be a good moment to say that even cessationists in cessationist churches, they pray for the sick, right? They, they believe that God can heal the sick and oftentimes won't attribute that as a gift of healing. Rather, they'll change the category of a healing and call it a miracle, even though the Bible has two different categories for healings and miracles. That's not, that's not here nor there. Um, so, so one, I would say we do what we're told, right? Um, that's not to say that there's not a way to pray for the sick where we're not hurting and wounding them unnecessarily. There's a pastoral way to tell people to repent of their sins and believe in God without being a jerk. Uh, and there is a way to tell people to repent of their sins uh, and believe in God where you're really trying to be a jerk, right? Like you you can do both of those things and the effect that it has on a person. There's definitely a way to deliver things in, 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 in mercy and in, in grace and love and truth. Um, that can still offend them, even if you're doing it the right way. So I would encourage you to say, man, if you're if you're worried about the worst possible consequence, you've got to get out of Christian ministry altogether um, because people are going to process information however they want to process information, even if you're doing things 100% right 100% of the time. Um, so I would just say that's just it's just not a good excuse not to pray yeah. for the sick. Yeah, and I think I'd, I would also add this, that... Um, if I'm starting out, like my opening thought is, but what if they don't get healed? And therefore, I'm going to not pray for healing. What it exposes is that open but cautious, while on the surface, it appears to be like, well, I'm neutral. I uh, I, I don't give into the crazy charismatics on one side. I'm not one of those cessationists who quenches the spirit on the other. I'm open. I'm cautious. I'm discerning. And it it's honestly, in my opinion, proud and unbelieving. Because if you can say like, well, but, but what if the person doesn't get healed and therefore I won't pray for healing? What you're showing is you actually don't believe. And earlier you mentioned an evangelism example. I'll, I'll, I'll tell, this is a story from Charles Spurgeon as it pertains to evangelism, uh, but it, there'll be an analogy in it uh, for healing. Uh, there's a, a young evangelist who says, uh, you know, Mr. Spurgeon, you're always leading people to Christ and I, you know how you do how do you do it because when i preach the gospel uh, people don't get saved and he says well do you believe that people will get saved whenever you preach and spurgeon uh, spurgeon says that to him do you believe people will get saved and he says well no because they never do and spurgeon says it will be done to you according to your faith now spurgeon's quoting that based on the healing miracles of jesus and the same applies to healing. So if if I'm coming into it thinking about all the things that I'll do if somebody doesn't get healed, uh, I should be spending my thoughts based more on like thinking about them actually getting healed. And so just the very question itself exposes a lack of faith. Um, let's jump to the next yeah. one. Hey, Curtis, oh, yeah, I see ahead. your comment in here. You, you said, is faith never neutral? I don't quite understand what that question means. Maybe re-ask it in a different way that I could comprehend because I feel like there's a good question there. Uh, what were you going to say, Roundtree? Sorry. Okay. I was just going to hop to the next one. Yeah, go ahead. So, um, yeah, it says, so if we start using the gift of healing, won't we be responsible for healing on demand? And so, uh, and so this is just kind of like the idea that like, you know, I've heard uh, a preacher say before, well, I believe in uh, teaching, just not teacher. Actually, he says this. <laughs> Sorry. He says, I believe in healing, just not healers. And then my response is, so that's kind of stupid because it's like saying I don't believe in teach. I believe in teaching, but not teachers. Uh, <laughs> but even just, uh, but I know what he's getting at when he says I don't believe in healers. What he's trying to say is I don't believe in those people who walk around claiming that they can heal on demand. And uh, and so I, I do think healing on demand is a legitimate problem that we need to think through theologically. Uh, Josh Miller, you want to comment on that healing on demand idea? Well, I think all of us on the podcast would be in agreement that we don't believe healing is on demand if you mean the result of healing. If you mean praying for the sick is on demand, then yes, like we pray for the sick, but again, we don't get to guarantee the results. And you see that seems to line up biblically speaking because you've got cases 
where the disciples couldn't heal somebody, um, a, a boy who was demonized, and they, they couldn't get the boy free. And then Jesus even rebukes him for it, but um, that does happen. Um, so the practitioner, you know, is not perfect. You know, when, when if Jesus were here praying for you, you'd probably see better results than if I were praying for you. Um, and then you also see a similar situation with Jesus in Nazareth, where he could not do many mighty miracles except heal a few sick people. Um, so th there is a, a multitude of facets in this, but what is clear is that healing, is, the, the result of healing is not on demand. You may have a gift to heal, but that doesn't guarantee the healing. You may have a gift to evangelize, but does that, that does not guarantee the person's salvation. Um, and I would say that's true with most of the gifts. Um, they're not, the results are not on demand. The actions right. are. Right. But there, even on this, there are different ways to parse this. Josh, do you want to talk through the difference between the view Miller just espoused that like there will be some people who more consistently walk in healing sort of ministry um, versus that sort of residential, non-residential approach? Um, I've heard you articulate that really well before. Yeah, so uh, the idea of a residential gift or a non-residential gift, I, often we talk about teaching. Like teaching can be viewed as a residential gift. I mean, I, I believe I have a gift of teaching. I can do that kind of on command. Uh, evangelism seems to be kind of residential as well. And yet there seems to be other gifts that seem to be more occasional. Um, like Elijah, he's a prophet, right? He's really a prophet, but he can't just prophesy on demand. These kings come to him and they say, hey, give us a prophetic word. And he goes, ah, go get a minstrel for me, you know, play the lyre. And then the spirit of the Lord fell upon him and he gave him a prophetic word. Like he, he was waiting upon the Lord to do an activity. And sometimes there needs to be this kind of accompanying power. Now, we don't have any like explicit text of scripture that, that differentiate between residential and non-residential gifts, except for the, the examples of scripture. We have people who are going around healing the sick and at other times aren't healing the sick. Um, Paul isn't a good example. Paul definitely is known for a gift of healing. At the end of his ministry, he heals a whole island full of people. And yet Trophimus was left in Miletus sick. Epaphroditus was on his deathbed before God raised him up. And Timothy had to take wine for his stomach. Paul didn't just send a handkerchief to Timothy and say, be healed in Jesus name. Or, hey, I prayed over this letter, rub it over your face and you'll be healed. He says, hey, you know, take some wine. So it appears that at times you have Paul who's operating in this gift of healing. And then at other times he's not operating in this gift of healing. Now, First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter twelve talks about gifts of healings, plural, and we've wondered what those kinds of plural giftings of healings could be. Uh, and some of us have wondered if that gift of healing might be specific grace for specific sicknesses or illnesses. Uh, I travel with Miller uh, every once in a while, and Miller seems to pray for people. And as odd as this may sound to some of you has prayed for flat feet and we've seen arches grow in people's feet multiple times. That's an odd it's, thing. It's odd to me too. I, it, I still find it's it strange. It's odd to everyone. Okay. <laughs> yes. You know, but right. Jesus picking up mud and throwing it into somebody's eyes was odd too. Uh, odd things aren't necessarily yeah, going to discount them. We, we had, you know, we've shared this before. We had Max Lucado, we interviewed Max Lucado and yeah. he said, when I pray for couples to have babies, they tend to get pregnant when I pray for them. And so we had to do a prayer on our episode. In fact, if you're infertile, I would encourage you to go back and look up that episode with uh, Max Lucado and just just receive that prayer. I don't know how that works. It's kind We've of had multiple emails of time. So, hey, but we we get we still get emails of people who had a, who had babies as a result. I got one of, yesterday, Michael, from someone that you prayed for, actually, on the program. They wrote the date down on a sticky note and put it on their computer screen and and said, this is the day that Michael Roundtree prayed for me not to have night terrors on Remnant Radio, and they haven't had a night terror since. They oh, said wow. they've had some scary dreams, but haven't woken well, up with that level of anxiety. Night terrors, night terrors and sleeping issues are things I consistently see healed. But just like Miller, it's still not on demand. I prayed for somebody with sleeping issues yesterday, and they were go. not healed. Uh, although I feel really, really confident with a little more prayer, they will be healed. Um, but with that said, you know, this actually touches on another thing. Uh, Luke 18, 1, Jesus told them a parable uh, in order to, to show that uh, Jesus said a parable in order to teach them to always pray and never give up. That's the other thing about healing prayer. We think that it always has to be like, bam, and you're healed. Uh, but the guy in Mark, uh, I want to say eight, when Jesus prays for him the first time, he just sees, uh, he says, people like trees walking around. This is Jesus prayed for him. And the guy gets half healed. Uh, and, and then Jesus prays for him again. 
and he's fully healed. And I find that often to be the case. Somebody gets partially healed and they get fully healed. And then there's this, this persevering element to prayer. If we have space for persevering prayer in other areas of our prayer life, why would healing prayer be the one area where it's you pray once and it succeeds or it just totally falls flat? No, healing prayer is not that way. Not at all. And so um, anyway, so I, I think that we... I, I, the solution to this healing on demand objection, like, hey, I don't want to give into that healing on demand. Uh, we, we say yes and amen to that. But it's a, an objection that's rooted in bad theology. It looks at the worst theology of healing prayer, that form that suggests that, hey, as long as there's not enough faith, God is almost obligated to heal the person. Like there's this law in the universe that God must heal on demand as long as there's not enough faith present. We do not believe that. We believe God is sovereign and God does as he pleases. And, uh, and so the real solution to this healing on demand objection is good theology. That's the solution. The solution is not to not pray for healing. Miller, what were you about to say? And, go oh, there's, well, Luke 5, 17, right? It says that the power of the Lord was present for, for him to heal. Why make mention of that? What's the purpose of that? What would you guys deduce from that scripture about the Lord? That moment yep. before the power of the Lord wasn't present to heal. That's right. Which Otherwise, is, why make mention of it? It's superfluous to make mention of it if that's not the case. And right. so, so John, Jesus John even empowered by the Spirit. Yeah, John 5. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. And so uh, and so here he is. He's, he's cooperating with the Father and the Spirit in the context of, of healing prayer. And this was Jesus' whole life. He did everything to please the Father and uh, in following the leadership and filled by the Holy Spirit. The triune God worked in tandem in all of Jesus's miracles. That's what he displays. Um, and, it, and, and part of the way that manifested itself was Jesus discerned when the power of the Lord was present to heal and when the power of the Lord was not so present to heal. As you mentioned earlier, Matthew 13 and it's parallel passage, Mark 6, where Jesus uh, did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. So uh, there's the negative side of that example. Uh, should we jump to the next one, guys? I was wondering if there would be a reason to talk about maybe in this moment are the need for faith and healing. Because I think oftentimes we will, we will try to overcorrect from the word of faith, guys, and we'll be like, hey, you know, faith isn't psychological certainty. It's not working yourself up into a lather that when you pray, you know that you know that you know that this is going to happen and then it doesn't happen. I heard a horror story just recently, a complete horror story on a podcast talking about charismatic expression. Uh, this son gets a call from his mom and says, pray now. And he goes, pray for what? And she goes, I don't have time to explain. Pray now. And it's like yelling and hangs up. She was praying over her husband who was like having a stroke or some kind of heart failure of some kind. Oh, no. And instead of calling the police or calling an ambulance, she just kept praying over him and he died. And oh. the medical, you know, people who got there were like, if you would have called us, we could have saved his life. Oh. And she like, like got rid of all of her charismatic books. And I think she walked away from the faith for a season. Uh, and then her son was able to like bring her back. But I think we hear these kinds of like, you know, when the, when the rubber hits the road, when the stuff hits the fan, as it were, you know, when that stuff happens, we go so far away from faith language that it, it's like your faith has no part to play whatsoever in prayer. But I think our posture is exact, the exact opposite. Like, no, we, we want you to believe. We want you to trust. We want you to see the scriptures that God is a healer. We, we want you to do those things. I mean, you know, we're, we're in a posture of like both and, right? Like if someone's in a medical emergency, you call the, me the, the medics and you pray until they get there, right? You pray with them on the ambulance all the way, believing and asking God to heal. But all the while, you know, there is there's logic and reason. Let's take that story off yeah. to the side. What role does faith actually play in the role of healing? Because that's that's really important. And we don't want to so downplay the word of faith that we just that's right. we have people thinking that, oh, it's God's sovereignty. You know, oh, whatever happens will happen. We don't we don't hold that position either. Dude, that's that's but, totally right. Um because what you see all throughout the Gospels, it's faith, 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 faith. It'll be done to you according to your faith. We see this so repeatedly. Like, it's understandable why the Word of Faith movement uh, came with uh, came down to the conclusions that it did. And, uh, of course, we have our differences with Word of Faith. Watch our episode uh, a few weeks ago. Um, 
But uh, I want to. I think this question from Curtis Roth, Josh, if you could pull that up, uh, really kind of gets at this. He says, "Can the prayer ever be offered in faith while also trying to stand on the neutral ground?" Roundtree mentioned. So uh, earlier in the episode, I talked about the the supposed neutral ground of or the neutral ground of. Uh, open but cautious. So the open but cautious view that says, hey, I'm not going to be the crazy charismatic over here. Um, and I'm not going to be the cessationist. I'll be open to the things of the spirit, but I'm going to be cautious about getting spirit crazy. I'm just going to be neutral. Now, there's a sense in which I agree with that and a sense in which I don't. The sense in which I agree with that is that cessationism bad, true. Charismania bad, true. In that sense, I do want to be neutral. But here's the sense in which I don't want to be neutral. I don't want to be neutral in the sense that like, if neutrality is defined by I'm not going to pursue the gifts, I'm just going to tread water with the things of the spirit. Treading the water with the things of the spirit is not the solution to avoiding charismatic abuse. No, rather than treading water, rather than just staying still and just kind of like being, say, on our heels, waiting for God to do something. No, we should obey the scripture that says to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. We should radically pursue the gifts in a biblical way, radically pursue the gifts without going over into abuse. The solution to abuse is not to throw cool water on passion. It's to put biblical guidelines that channel our passion toward God's intention for the gifts, which is love. And, uh, and so I would say, Curtis, it depends on how one defines neutral. I, I don't like the open but cautious position. I think it's unbiblical, um, sinful maybe even. Okay. Uh, on the other hand, uh, there, if neutrality is merely defined as neither cessationism nor charismania, then yes, there should be neutrality. Now to, to dovetail this into a response to Josh's, uh, kind of what Josh was articulating about the role of faith. And like Josh, I think you were talking about like, you know, shouldn't there be some kind of expectancy? I really think there should. If Jesus is the word of God, he is the exact expression of the father's heart. Let's look at Jesus' healing ministry. Every single person that came to Jesus asking for a healing got healed. On some occasions, like Matthew chapter 12, it says Jesus healed them all. This is the father's heart. The father's heart is for healing. Every time somebody came with an infirmity, Jesus treated it like an enemy and he went after it. And so that's the way we should be. That's why I don't like the open but cautious view. I want to be like Jesus. Jesus wasn't open but cautious with healing. And Jesus also reflects the Father's heart. And so when we pray, I think we should pray with this expectancy that I think there is a really, 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 really strong chance that God heals this person right here and right now. I also have space in my theology for mystery. I have space in my theology for medical solutions. I have space in my theology for these things because it's that kingdom already, not yet. The kingdom is here. We get this down payment appetizer of the coming age where everybody's perfectly healed. So let's, let's pray for that and pursue that. But let's also remember that it's not until the age to come that everyone gets healed. Everyone will be healed either in the resurrection or right now, but I'm going to contend for right now because that's what Jesus modeled for me and he showed me the Father's heart. So there you go. That was my soapbox. I'll be off for a few minutes. You guys take it away. <laughs> <laughs> so Josh, your question was, what role does faith actually play? Um, so the way that I would, the way that I've been talking about faith is that it's trust, trust in the goodness, kindness, and character of God. And so uh, the kind of faith that it requires, like he says, if you have faith like a mustard seed, smallest seed that existed in, in that time, uh, if you have that kind of faith, then you can tell the mountain to move. I think the important thing here is it's trusting in a person where the impossible becomes possible. Um, you know, when you think about the, the verse that Michael quoted earlier, said that all that came to him were healed. And so there's this idea, though, that they have to come to him. Um, you know, and I think of James, you do not have because you do not ask. And so really the, the faith that's required is simply going to the right person and, and knowing that he can, uh, that he will on one side of the resurrection or the other. Uh, but whether he will right then there in that moment is entirely up to him, not up to us. 
we're calling upon a good God, though, so it's it's pretty uh, likely and positive that he will heal us because he's good and he cares for us. And so that's kind of how, when I think of the faith that I have when it comes to praying for the sick, I expect miracles and healings to take place. But it's not because I think of something special in me. It's not because I'm psychologically certain that it's going to happen. It's because I know the person I'm praying to. Like, I actually know him. We have a relationship. I've seen him do these things over and over and over again. And so my expectation is always there for him to do something. Um, and that there's also comfort available, knowing that whether I see it right now or not, doesn't change the fact that one day I will see it on the other side of the eschaton. Yeah, and I think that your your response right there answers uh, Curtis's follow-up question. He's getting a lot of airtime today because he's asking good, quick questions. Uh, would you say uh, expectancy is a synonym for faith? And I think what we're talking about here is not an expectancy of outcome necessarily, but an expectancy in a person. So like, I know Jesus, like I trust Jesus. I've seen Jesus do this and I'm trusting this pattern I see in scripture, this pattern I even see in my experience that, that when I lay hands on a person and pray in Jesus' name, that he is going to heal the sick. And again, it's not just in my expectancy of the outcome. You know, I'm going to pray and this person's going to be better afterward. It's trust in the person. So it's like, yes, expectancy, but but where is that expectancy pointed? Um, I expect him to do what is good and what is right and what is true. And when I pray, he God responds. And sometimes his response is not, not conducive to what I wanted to happen in that oh. moment. But my expectancy is in him that he's good. Even when I'm not seeing him do the things that I expected him to do, he's still good in the midst of it. Um, we still die, well, right? And I wish we could just sit around in a circle. And, you know, when me and Michael and Michael are old and, you know, in our 90s and one of us starts passing, that we could just pray over each other and keep raising each other from the dead and stand in a circle and just live eternally in this age um, <laughs> by raising each other up from the dead. But the reality is, is that we just die in this life. Uh, and our bodies will will stop. There will be no oxygen in our lungs. Our blood will stop pumping. Um, and, and that's just a reality. And I wish that every time we prayed, that that's the way that that worked. But our hope is not in this life. It's in the age to come. And and God knows how to govern those two, those two expectations. So my expectation yeah, is think, in him and in trust in him. I think we can have hope both in this life and in the one to come, uh, knowing that he's good and, and he'll answer prayers Amen. now and knowing that he's good and he'll answer prayers later. Um, yeah. And I was also thinking of the example, what is it, in, in John 9, where Jesus tells the man, you know, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Well, why didn't Jesus just heal him right then and there on the spot? Why was there this gap in time between when Jesus gave him the instructions and the request came to him and this time where the pool, the, the guy washed in the pool? Um, there's probably reasons for it that you can find even contextually, but the fact is that gap exists even in scripture. Um, who's to say that gap isn't even greater when it comes to, uh, the end of the age, the, re the, the resurrection. Um, so I think that there's always a little bit of mystery in how Jesus does these things when Jesus does these things, but what is not mysterious is that Jesus does these things like that's right. pretty clear. And so we can yeah. have expectation both in this and the next life. Yeah, I just really, I really think if we can just have some space for mystery and healing uh, in our theology of healing, it'll go a long way. Like, I don't know why one person gets healed and another person doesn't get healed. And sometimes that person who does get healed uh, maybe doesn't even like walk with Jesus very much or, you know, has maybe been away from the Lord. Oh, and yeah. Some person is really faithful. Like, I mean, there's just a sovereignty to things that we just have to trust ourselves to. And I, I think when our theology tries to explain away all mystery, then we come up with uh, silly, unbiblical, and even painful theologies, such as as long as you have enough faith and as long as there's not sin in your life, you will always 100% of the time get healed. You've turned God into a formula. You've taken away his uh, sovereignty and you've replaced it with your sovereignty. Uh, and, and it's just a bad thing. Don't don't explain away mystery. So yeah. um, let's get back yeah, to the open ahead. but cautious stuff because we've been talking about okay, we're, we're defining faith, defining healing, how it all <laughs> works with the gift of healing. But this video is for our brothers out there who are like, hey, I believe in the gifts. I think that they're a thing, but I'm just really cautious about expressing them, going after them, pursuing them. One of the things that often happens when you have this kind of model, it's like I believe in prophecy but I don't want prophecy happening on Sundays at my church. That's weird, right? One of the things that we talk about with healing is, is hey, if, if you're going to believe in the gift of healing, 
You need to practice the gift of healing like it happens in the church, right? Like in 1 Corinthians, these are public gatherings where the gifts are being exercised. And in James, he says, have them come forward and the elders anoint with oil, lay hands and pray the prayer of faith. This is a public thing. So some people will say, hey, you know, I I, I believe that God can heal and, and maybe I'll pray, but I'm not going to make room in my service for God to come in uh, and, and, to, and to heal sick folk because it makes people feel weird and uncomfortable if God doesn't answer properly or or the way that, that, that they we want him to to respond. What would you guys say to the person that says, I believe that God can heal. I believe that maybe even God does heal, but I'm not going to make room in my service because it makes me uncomfortable somehow. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I go ahead, Michael. Sure. I, I, I think we have to we have to change the way we think about the gospel. We tend to think about the gospel as the plan of salvation that gets you to heaven when you die. And that is certainly a very wonderful part of the gospel and result of the gospel when we place our faith in him. Uh, but the gospel is, it's the good news that, uh, that Jesus is the, uh, is the risen king. Okay. It's the good news that Jesus died and rose again to reverse the curse of sin and redeem all who believe. And, uh, and so when we think about the gospel, I want us to specifically think about it in terms of how it's uh, articulated in the gospels as the gospel of the kingdom. And what you see in Matthew 4, 23 to 25 and Matthew 9, 35 to 38 and Matthew chapter 10, verse 8 and so on is what you see is that a time and time again, there's the pairing together of proclamation and demonstration. Jesus proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom, healing the sick and, uh, and casting out demons. And it, it just repeats that same statement. And then in Matthew 10, Jesus sends them out and says, preach the gospel, uh, uh, preach that the kingdom of heaven is near, and then heal the sick and raise the dead, so on. And you see the same thing portrayed all throughout the book of Acts, that proclamation and demonstration are paired together. Why? Because it... It, the gospel of the kingdom that King Jesus reigns. He is the risen, resurrected King and Lord of all that is. Well, he demonstrates that reign through healing the sick. He demonstrates that reign by casting out demons because where Jesus reigns, demons don't. And where Jesus reigns, sickness doesn't. And so we pray, Matthew 6.10, that the kingdom, uh, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so what, what I would say is like, do you preach the gospel in your service? Well, then why would you be opposed to demonstrating the gospel? Are you, you're willing to tell people that Jesus reigns? Why wouldn't you be willing to show people that Jesus reigns? That's the pattern that we have in scripture. It's show and tell. It's proclaim and demonstrate. I want people to walk away from church having an encounter with the kingdom. I want people, uh, I want demons being cast out. I want the sick being healed. Now, how that works inside of your liturgy, that there are lots of ways to do it. We have a prophetic time, and uh, sometimes we pray for people on the spot during this prophetic time. It's about 10 minutes at the end of our service. Um, it can happen like that. We always have a ministry time at the end of our service, and people come forward and receive prayers. Here in stories this week of multiple lines of people that were uh, having demons cast out of them at the end of a service where I talked about demons and deliverance. And so, uh, and so, man, I, I think I would just appeal to the very inherent nature of the gospel, that it, it it's the gospel of God's reign in Christ. And so if we really want to proclaim that, if you're into proclaiming the kingdom in your service, why wouldn't you not, why would you be opposed to demonstrating the kingdom in your service? Miller, what would you say? Um, I just can't see Jesus hiding all healings away in a corner. Um, a lot of the healings he did were public and demonstrative. And so, and, and while I understand that there were times where he tried to get away and keep the notoriety because he was trying to stave off um, some of the problems he was going to be facing, but uh, the fact was a lot of the healings he did were very public. And so if his methodology for advancing the kingdom of God meant healing the sick and casting out demons, often very demonstratively, often in the public eye, then who are we to say we know how to do it better than Jesus did? Um, I, I just find that to be very problematic. And at the end of the day, I see him as our model. And so, um, and also on, on a practical level, I can see massive benefit to praying for the sick publicly. 
one as leaders in, in churches, um, praying publicly for people to be healed sets the example that this is what Christians do. If you're doing it, guess what others will do. Uh, and if you're doing it with wisdom and kindness and, um, and not pushy, then that's how other people will likely do it. Now, everybody's going to do things in, in a messy way. We can't, we can't mitigate all messes. Um, and there will be mess if you pray for the sick, but I can also say that there will be healings and there will be hope in God and, uh, and faith and even conversion where healings are taking place. And so I, I don't know why you'd want to hide that from the Sunday service. If anything, I would want that to be uh, very much a part of the service. Um, in the same way that I, when we take communion, I want the communion to sanctify me. When I hear the preaching of the word, I want the preaching of the word to sanctify me and, and build my faith. And I think healing does the same thing. It, it reminds people again of God's goodness and his kindness and causes us to trust in him all over again. And we're also told that it testifies to the resurrection, that the, the very act of healing is uh, is an action in first corinthians 13 that says you know there's coming a day where the gift of healing will cease why well because we won't need healing we'll have resurrected bodies and so every healing that we see right now just testifies to the power that's one day coming uh where where our bodies will be made whole completely uh where unlike what paul says outwardly i'm wasting away uh one day we will be outwardly perfected and so um I just wouldn't want to take that away from my community by hiding it away in some corner or in private meetings. Although I'm happy to take private meetings as well. I just, I think these things are on display for a reason because they do build the faith of the church. Yeah. yeah I think you're hey. talking right now on the two different means of grace, the ordinary means and the extraordinary means that God meets mm -hmm. us in to build faith and repentance. And there's a story in Acts 9, 40 through 41 40 through 42 maybe where Peter like prays for a girl and she is risen from the dead and the word of this kind of spreads in acts and people come to faith as a byproduct of this event. Uh, they believed on God because God had raised this girl up. And I, I think that there are these moments where, I mean, we, we, we come to faith by the scriptures, by the word of God, right? Where the, the word is alive to us is an ordinary means of grace, right? where we, we come and gather around the table or the, the scriptures and, and we can see that the scriptures reveal to us who God is. Faith comes by, by the word of God, right? Um, but then subsequent to that, there are these extraordinary means where a mighty miracle is performed and many believe on Jesus because of a mighty miracle. And, and we want to create on-ramps for those things and display those sort of things and encourage people to practice those sort of things. Uh, we had a, a group of people out from Oklahoma City come down and do prophetic ministry at our church recently. And before they came out, I asked Rayma, um, my daughter, to pray. And I was like, hey, Ray, um, let's ask God to speak to us. You know, we pray every night that God would speak to us. Um, let's just ask that God would show us something and speak to us and, and kind of, uh, you know, maybe maybe hear or see something. And she goes, okay. She closes her eyes, we pray, and we just wait there for like two minutes. And, uh, and I said, Rayma, did you, did you see anything? Did you hear anything? She goes, I didn't hear anything, but I saw in my right eye, I saw a flash and she goes, it was like a police or an ambulance, like just flashing red. And I was like, only in your right eye. And she goes, yeah. And I was like, I'm, I'm so natural. I'm like so carnal that I don't, I don't think that God's speaking to my daughter. I think there's like a car passing, you know, on the street and it's like flashing into her eyes and it's, you know, but, but it's not both of her eyes. It's just her right eye. And I go, okay, cool. Well, maybe God wants to heal someone's right eye. And she goes, well, uh, maybe, you know, and cause I was thinking an ambulance, like that could be healing, you know, uh, let, let's pray for that. She goes, okay. So we prayed for it and we get into a meeting and, uh, you know, Brock's giving prophetic words. And I'm like, I'm going to go get some water bottles out of the car. And Josie goes, let me do it. I said, why? She goes, my right eye feels real weird. She was, she didn't take the car ride over with us. And she's like, uh, uh, the, the, the fluorescent lights are all messing up my eye. It's like, there's flashing in my right eye. And I was like, how wild is that? And I want to share that story with Rayma. And Rayma's eyes just lit up. She was just like, I heard God. And like my, my, you know, six-year-old had this, this faith that lit her up. Like, okay, God spoke to me. That's so cool. And, and you saw a moment where, we had talked to her about God for a long time, but like now God was speaking to her and like she came alive in that moment. And that might seem silly and, and insignificant to you guys, but, but it was cool. You know, a, an extraordinary means of grace built the faith of a small child. And, and how cool would it be for someone, a small child to see someone in our community get healed of a sickness and then go around and praying for the sick. Like it, it, it spurs people to action when we know that prayer actually does something. Um, anyway, that, that's my little yeah. tidbit.
that's good. Toss it over. Hey, why don't we shift gears? Because uh, we've been we've been talking through uh, just some of the uh, kind of feelings that uh, somebody who's open but cautious might have toward healing ministry, and so we've been more on the debunking side. But uh, but now let's kind of go on the other side and let's let's talk about specifically what the what the problems are with the open but cautious view. So I, I'd like to maybe just kind of read through some of these. Might have we might have addressed sort of accidentally in the previous section. So we'll pass through those ones quickly. Uh, if you're open but cautious, you will allow God to heal, but not actively pursue healing. Josh, I think there was important what you said. Like I routinely talk to cessationists who say, we believe in healing and uh, which I'm, we're all like really well aware of. And uh, you'll, you'll not find any record of us anywhere saying we think cessationists don't believe in healing. Uh, we do believe cessationists will allow for healing. And some cessationists would even, maybe in desperate situations, pray for healing. Same for open but cautious. Uh, but I think we have a biblical mandate to pursue healing. When Jesus uh, sends out the disciples in Luke 9, he sends out 12, 12 uh, apostles representing the 12 tribes of Israel. But then in the next chapter, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 72 72 or 70, depending on the translation. Uh, but it represents, according to Genesis 10, the table of nations, the number of nations that in the Israelite mind existed in the world. And so the intention is Jesus never intended to be the sole exorcist. Jesus never intended to be the sole healer. He pushes it out to Israel and he pushes it out to the nations. He's discipling people in miracles. So when Jesus says in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, he's saying, do it like I did. Make disciples like I made disciples of you. You go and do the same thing. And so he actually intends this ministry to be taught and pressed out to others. And uh, and so there should be an active pursuit of healing. Uh, when, when John Wimber talks about his reflection on, I talked earlier about the gospel of the kingdom, when, he's, when he saw praying for the sick is on, on level with evangelizing, is actually kind of part of evangelism. When he saw praying for the sick is on par with uh, preaching the gospel and making disciples and actually part of that process and how it works, it, it totally upped like, man, I've got to really go for that. I really need to pursue healing because this is how I demonstrate the reality of the kingdom I'm proclaiming. And so if you're open but cautious, you'll, you'll allow God to heal. You'll be cool with it. Oh, cool. God healed. But you're not going to pursue it in the way uh, that someone would if they are passionately pursuing healing ministry. We should passionately pursue praying for the sick. We should pray for the sick often. I would hope that you would pray for the sick every single week. Uh, you'll see a lot more healings if you do. Uh, you know, Miller it's like Josh, saying, and again, we, we, we liken things to salvation, but like if you believe that, you know, I think of terms of like doing evangelism, like we can preach in our churches and we can preach on the street. I find that a lot of my cessationist friends reserve the prayer for the sick for church where, you know, my, my friends that are pursuing healing, they stop when they see sick people. We were with Miller. Uh, I think we we're in Oklahoma city. We were hanging out with Tim and Bonnie. I don't know if you remember this. We went out to get ice cream uh, and this lady had a brace and you're literally licking an ice cream cone. And you're like, oh, hey. And you start gravitating to this person and pray for her like sprained wrist or whatever it was. Um, and I did she get healed, Miller? I don't remember how that story no, played out. She she had a knee brace on and no, she didn't get healed. No, she, she didn't get I, I do vaguely remember <laughs> that she didn't get healed. But the fact that like we believe in this stuff and we pursue this stuff, there was a moment where someone was was sick and we we moved to action because of our belief. That, that's all that I mean to say. Um, but it was... I don't know. It's a it's a thing that you see with people who pursue healing. They pray for sick folk. Yeah. So I, in commenting on on Michael's statement about the orthopraxy of an open but cautious person, I would say I want my orthopraxy to be as biblical as possible. Like I want the way I live my faith out to be as in step and in line with Jesus, his disciples, and those who were discipled by disciples. Um, and a as biblically uh, informed as possible. And so I would say that in all things, um, not just with the practice of praying for the sick, but also with the practice of evangelism and the practice of taking communion on a regular basis and um, 
doing it in accordance with the scriptures and teaching on a regular basis in accordance with the scriptures. Um, so I, I just want every part of my life to be as actively uh, biblical as possible, not passively biblical. Like having a belief system that God heals is all fine and well, um, but having the belief doesn't change necessarily whether someone will get healed or whether you will pray for the sick in the same way that having a belief system that God saves uh, and that people can be evangelized doesn't, uh, doesn't necessarily dictate whether or not you will evangelize. And so I, I want uh, my, my, my practice and my beliefs to line up completely. And when I see the examples in scripture, I don't see people passively just waiting for God to heal. I see them praying for the sick. You know, Peter and, and, and John, they see the man who's lame at the temple gate. Well, why didn't they just passively wait for the Lord to do it sovereignly? What, what compelled them to pray for the man? Well, they, they had the belief, but they also had the action. And so I think that's, that's how we want to do uh, life in all things as a Christ follower. And so I got a good uh, comment from Darren that I would like you guys to respond to that I think kind of ties into some of this. So Darren says, Hey, you're hanging so much theology on first Corinthians chapter 14, uh, verse one, right. To pursue. And he goes, uh, you need to read chapter 12 in context. Not all have the gift of healing. Uh, if all, if, if all dead pursue healing, then we if all did probably did. If all did uh, probably did. Yeah. Uh, pursue healing. Then we, uh, we wouldn't be a body. Okay, so there's a, a real concern here, guys. You know, you're telling everyone, you're speaking to everyone as if, you know, we, we need to be praying for the sick all the time. But what if we don't have the gift of healing? You know, how, how why should we pursue it? But we need to be dependent on one another. What do you guys think? Right. Yeah. So um, the, there is a good point with, with spiritual gifts. Um, but I would follow it up like this. And I would say, we know we're all called to evangelism. But Ephesians 4.11 mentions evangelists as gifts in the church. The, the people are the gifts, but implicitly uh, it, there's a spiritual gift of evangelism. Uh, the same thing, encouragement is listed as a spiritual gift in Romans 12. Uh, teaching is listed as a spiritual gift, but we're all called to teach in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, uh, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Uh, it, you could go on and on giving like Romans 12 also mentions giving of your finances. Someone has the gift of giving. Other one has, Romans 12, the gift of serving. And so spiritual gifts are not meant to pigeonhole people as though you can do this and nothing else. In fact, I would say anyone who's a believer could practice any of the gifts on any occasion. Um, you, you know, Acts chapter 2, when it speaks of the democratization of the spirit, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, all men will dream dreams, even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit on the prophesy. He's he's basically saying everybody, everybody <laughs> going to do it. Everybody's going to prophesy. Does that mean that everyone has the spiritual gift called prophecy? Does that mean that everyone will be proficient in prophecy, practicing it often? I don't think it means that, but I think it means anyone on any occasion. And I, and I have experienced in my life people uh, who gave me killer, uh, I mean, in fact, I was thinking about it today. Someone gave me the most spot-on prophetic word that moved me to tears uh, I've ever heard. It's a very personal story. Uh, and the person prefaced it with, I never do this. I am, <laughs> I am not a prophet. I never prophesy. So anyone could prophesy on any occasion. Doesn't mean they're all prophets. And the same goes for all the spiritual gifts. And so when it comes to healing the sick, which is true like evangelism, we're all called to evangelize. Not all of us are gifted in that way. We're all called to pray for the sick. Not all of us are going to be uh, seeing healing miracles like Michael Miller does. <laughs> and we can see, <laughs> we can still see, uh, you know, dependency on the body. You know, I've seen, I've seen miracles. I don't see them frequently, but I've seen God heal people, and that's been super cool. But at the same time, when my wife got sick, I rushed her to Oklahoma City for the healing evangelist or whatever, you know, I'm, I'm joking about the healing evangelist part. But uh, all that to say that that I saw that there was someone there who I believed and trusted that God had given a supernatural gift of healing. And I had someone in my community, in my my, my household that was sick. And I was like, how do, how do I get that person to that person? Because I believe that God has caused us to be dependent on different members of the body. I, and I don't think that there's anything wrong with that as well. Um, and again, I don't believe that that guy that I was looking towards, his name is Ken, 
uh, had like an infallible on-demand gift of healing. I just know that God uses him frequently in that gift. But I still want to pray for sick people when I see, see sick people. So I think that you can have those things in tandem and say, you know, um, uh, Michael said this, uh, anyone can be used in any gift at any time. But none of us are saying everyone is used in every gift all of the time. That interpretation would undermine entirely the context of 1 Corinthians 12. God gives the Spirit as he wills, and yet to his will, we are to we are to seek or eagerly uh, long for the greater of those gifts. So I think those two things can operate in tandem, and that's what we're trying to encourage. Hope that clears I, that up. I always get a little uncomfortable when Michael pays me the, the credit for seeing a lot of things. Um, but I, I would say this. Uh, I pray for a lot of people a lot of the time. And I would say that's probably going to be true of anybody. The more people you pray for, the more you're going to see God do when it comes to healing. Uh, the more you pray in general, the more answered prayers you're going to see. The more you evangelize, the more people who are probably going to give their lives to Jesus. And so uh, I want to do this as often as I can. And, you know, I, I made this commitment a long time ago after I saw my first, I'd say, noteworthy healing where I could see, I saw it happen. Like the person looked different after we prayed, uh, something I just could not deny. And I remember just crying and, and thanking the Lord and feeling so honored that he would use me. And then also making a commitment to him that I'll do this the rest of my life. Um, and, and, and I will, I'll continue to do this the rest of my life. And I would encourage all of you, um, move the needle up. And, and the way you can do that is by praying more people for more people, evangelize more people. That's it. Jeez. You're muted, Michael. You're muted, Michael. He looks good. I, I love that you put the camera on me still. You could just see my lips moving and you were like, I'm going to just put the camera on him. Okay. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to go, I'm going to move through these ones fast because we're kind of out of time. So out of time. Um, yeah. If you're open but cautious, you'll be less likely to believe for uh, healing hard cases. Uh, Miller, I remember when you were praying for deaf people all the time and when you saw your first deaf ear open and the woman oh, shouting yeah. and celebrating and all of that, like if, if you're only open, but cautious, you're probably not going to over and over and over again, pray for someone who can't hear or pray for someone who can't see. Okay. I'm going to rush through that. Uh, if you're open, but cautious, you'll, you'll pray weak, pray, uh, weak. If it be your will prayers, instead of commanding healing like Jesus often did. Okay. That clip is going to um, get us in trouble with that context, but keep going. Yeah. yeah no well, <laughs> um, there's obviously a place for, if it be your will prayers, uh, garden of Gethsemane being an example, you know, Lord, let me not have to, uh, drink this cup that is suffer, uh, the cross. If there be any other way, yeah, not my will, but yours be done. There's certainly a place for that, but, um, well, Miller, what, or Josh, what do you think? Uh, what do you think about that statement? Um, if it, if you're open, but cautious, you'll pray weak. If it be your will prayers, is that a fair statement? I think that's experientially and anecdotally true. Those that I know that are open but cautious or have more of a passive approach to the miraculous, that's how they pray. That's how I prayed when I didn't believe this stuff was happening today. Um, and when it comes to the examples set forth in Scripture, if we want our orthopraxy to line up with the orthopraxy of the disciples and those whom the disciples discipled, then you actually don't see them praying, God, will you do this very often? Um or even at all when it comes to healing. Uh, almost every single time you see them praying prayers that I would say from come from God on God's authority uh, as ambassadors of Christ. So, Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a place for praying for healing. James 5, 16, uh, that speaks of pray, confess your sins for, to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Uh, so, so there is a place for healing prayer, but what we see throughout the Gospels, to your point, Miller, is far more commonly healing commands. Like, well, Luke 4, Jesus rebukes a fever. Luke 18, Jesus says, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. That's verse 42. Uh, skipped one. Luke 9, 42. Um, while, a demon was, uh, while he was coming, the demon threw him on the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. Uh, so there, there you have commanding a, a spirit to leave, um, but it's connected to healing. 
John 5, 8, 8 and 9, get up, take your bed, and walk. Acts 3, 6, so it's not just Jesus. Here's one of his disciples, Peter. I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Jesus teaches us, hey, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can command a mountain to move. So we've done episodes on prayer for healing versus commands of healing. There's certainly a place for both. Uh, but I, I don't know about you guys, but I see a lot more healings when I command for healing. Uh, and, and to be clear, we're not commanding God. We're commanding the thing with God's authority that he has shared with us. He has given to us. And so um, I, I've just found that you just pray very differently if you're open to cautious. Uh, Josh, do you have any thoughts on that? Man, not a ton. I, can I just like put cards on the table and go, it makes me uncomfortable to command things to be healed because it feels word of faith. Someone asked in the comment section, you know, does commanding equal word of faith? No, um, because an action doesn't necessarily, um, the action of commanding a sickness to go doesn't pre-require a bunch of um, bad theology to pre-package that action. Um, our concern is with the theology that informs that action that we can speak things into existence or control the universe. Uh, whereas, you know, uh, I command the sickness to go in the name of Jesus. And when we are saying that, we're thinking it in terms of um, like a police officer that's been deputized in the name of the law, right? Like, you know, uh, you know, when a, when a officiant typically, you know, uh, officiates a wedding, you know, it, you know, how do they say it? Something like by the, the authority given to me by the state of Texas and God almighty, you know, kiss your bride. You, you guys are one, that kind of thing you're speaking in the name of some other office it's that is empowering you so when when in our system of theology command sickness to go what we are doing is we are commanding it in the authority that Christ has given us not by um you know the the confidence of the outcome of this event that if i speak it out it will happen two very different theological systems one is trying to follow to the best of our ability the life and 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 practice of Jesus and the disciples, right? So not only is Jesus commanding healing, but the disciples, you know, silver and gold, they don't have this one thing, rise and walk in the name of Jesus. And they didn't ask, they just commanded it to be so. And and I think that there may be, there may be room in that to have a gift of faith or even a word of knowledge that this is the way that this act is supposed to happen. I don't see a lot in the scriptures that say that you can or can't do this or when to do this. We just see that it happens. And I think that a lot of people who do this like in good faith are doing this with a clear conscience, just following um, the, the descriptions of what's happening in Scripture to the best of their ability. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, I am, right. I am, I'll be honest, um, often uncomfortable, uh, but have done this and, and have seen God heal right. when I do this. But, so but Josh, I don't know that I could say experientially that there is a difference, though, in when I ask God to heal versus when I command sickness to go. Um, I just kind of right. get led by the spirit Josh, as I do wouldn't, it. Wouldn't you say though that your discomfort is not rooted in a Bible verse um, that says, "Hey, make sure you don't command sicknesses uh, or anything of the sort," but rather your discomfort is with those who abuse those kinds of texts, uh, assuming that there's some kind of like lowercase g God that can go around and that their words create worlds and that. They're almost putting God into their debt to respond. I don't know. They would never uh, articulate it that way, but that's the way it, it sounds. Well, uh, this is, is actually isn't it, the... Aren't you like, isn't, in other words, isn't your discomfort more a response to abuse than the actual scripture? Because, I mean, I just read a bunch of scriptures that say command stuff. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm, it's, it's probably even not, not even that because I, I don't want my practice to be a response to abuse. That's literally being open, but cautious. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm afraid that people are hearing us say, you are healed, when that's not what we're saying. We're commanding sickness to go. That's what I'm afraid of when people say commanding healing. I'm afraid that what they're hearing us say is you look at the, pan the, the cancer patient and say, you're healed in Jesus' name. And they go, oh, well, I must be healed. And they stop getting treatment, right? That's what I'm afraid of. Uh, I am perfectly fine and comfortable with all of us saying, you know, in the name of Jesus, I command cancer to go, right? There's a difference between you are healed and I'm commanding sickness to leave. Do you see that? And I think yeah, that some that's people true. might be hearing us saying the latter. Um, because right. I, I think if you start saying that this, this is the reality, right? In Jesus' name, you know, you are no longer sick. Then that affects practice on the back end. And I don't think that's what right. scriptures prescribe. Although, even, right. even with that hesitation, you would probably say there, there can be a place for a pronouncement such as that. 
uh, again like when it's married to like a word of name. like a faith yeah right but the pronouncement has to reflect a reality you're not just like <laughs> you're not just making pronouncements and just declaring things that are new realities because of you uh, like bankruptcy like, right so there there is a, a spirit <laughs> there's a spirit-led component to this that we can't just willy-nilly go around commanding and pronouncing things um Okay, so guys, go back and listen to our episodes on commanding. So you'll you'll hear uh, it's within the last month that we've done an episode on this commanding versus asking in prayer. Uh, maybe two months, but uh, you guys can find it anyway. Let's do this last one, number four. Well, that four on our list—that's irrelevant to y'all. Um, if you're open <laughs> but cautious, you will pray for doctors more than divine healing. Bro, that one's so true and funny. That's totally true, man. Yeah, all of us when we were cessationists did that. <laughs> at least Michael and I were cessationists. Guided surgeon's point. hand. So right, many, totally. So many guided surgeon hands through our cessationist prayers. <laughs> Dude, I still <laughs> I if I well. if I know somebody's going under the knife, I'll still pray that. Um, I'll also pray yeah, for them yeah, to get yeah. healed. So yeah, yeah. Just to be clear, we're not condemning that. We are. What well, we are uh, advocating for, though, is that you should also pray for healing, not just it's the, it's the guiding surgeons. Right. It's the proportion we're condemning. We're saying <laughs> yes. if 99% of your prayers are for doctor's hands and 1% for an actual divine healing, I don't think you're praying in a biblical way. Unless you're a doctor. <laughs> and hopefully you're praying every time you perform a surgery. <laughs> so good, dude. I remember going to this oh, little bitty church in Silverton, point. Colorado. I think it was called Church on the Hill. I don't know if it's still there. If you exist, let me know. Um, but I was 17 or 18 and I was like backpacking in the mountains for a month and just kind of like praying and fasting out by myself in the middle of these mountains back when I was very Pentecostal. Anyway, um, <laughs> I would go into town for this prayer meeting that they had at this church on the hill. And I remember like they would just pray like this guy's got cancer and they'd be praying for him. Lord, ease his pain. And I was like, ease his pain. Like, Lord, heal him. I just remember. Let's the feel people. the dreams, bro. Yeah, people in the room the dreams. being so like, they were encouraged by my prayer. Like, Lord, like, yeah, ease his pain, help the doctors, all that good stuff. But like, heal this dude. Um, and like, my prayers were directed like forcefully. And I just remembered it encouraged people. It didn't offend anyone. It encouraged people that were present. Like, oh, yeah, we believe in a God who heals. That's a good thing. Anyway, uh, good times. Good times. Uh, you guys ready to sign off? Any closing yeah, thoughts? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Closing, guys, thank you so much thought. for tuning into this episode. What? Huh? I have a closing thought. Of course you do. Don't be don't be open but cautious. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Remnant Radio. Uh, if you want to support the channel, there are links in the description. The top link is for PayPal. The link underneath it's for Patreon. If you give on PayPal, you can give any amount. If you give on Patreon, you can give as low as five bucks a month to get access to extra content. Like remarks, like Michael saying his closing <laughs> thoughts. Don't be open but cautious. Ease his pain. I want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek in Hebrew. And you need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.